The deep state and the United Nations are weaponizing the religions of the world for the purpose of implementing Agenda 2030 and their global agenda for tyranny. It's all part of a three-legged stool strategy outlined years ago by a management guru. Stay tuned and I'll tell you more. Welcome to Behind the Deep State, everybody. I'm your host, Alex Newman here, senior editor at the New American Magazine. Now, we did a whole episode on Agenda 2030 uh, probably two years ago at this point, maybe more. Um, hugely significant. Uh, at the time that it was being approved, uh, the head of the General Assembly, a guy from Fiji called Peter Thompson, said this was the master plan for humanity. And he wasn't kidding. Um, it really is. right? <laughs> the 15-year plan for all people everywhere. They say nobody must be left behind. Um, it is basically a roadmap for global tyranny, for global technocracy, for global socialism, if you will. And they say it explicitly, right? In goal number 10, for example, uh, they say that uh, we need to redistribute wealth both within countries, right? So national socialism and also among countries, in other words, international socialism. So they're very serious about this. They want abortions, vaccines for all. They want to micromanage and regulate every part of your life. And it's all to save Mother Earth. That's what they said. Uh, the Secretary General of the UN at the time called it the uh, Declaration of Interdependence, right? We're going to revoke the Declaration of Independence of the United States and move toward this. Well, um, I, I want to talk a little bit more about Agenda 2030 before we get to the implementation, because uh, it's critical that you understand this, right? When this was first approved, uh, it was never submitted to the U.S. Senate for ratification, by the way. Uh, Obama just signed it and pretended like it was a done deal. Uh, every national government in the world signed on here, led by the U.N. and a communist Chinese dictatorship, the CCP, right after it was approved, said, oh, we played a crucial role in creating Agenda 2030. And um so they got the governments on board, right, uh, through the United Nations, through the U.N. General Assembly. They got everybody to agree that this is going to be the master plan for humanity. This is how we're going to save Mother Earth. This is how we're going to transform everything about civilization. Well, I want to talk now about Peter Drucker. OK, Peter Drucker uh, was an establishment guy. He was a um, I guess his cover story was a management guru, right? He was just good at managing business. So he wrote a bunch of books about it. And uh, he actually mentored and even discipled a whole bunch of very influential people, business tycoons, politicians, and even religious figures like megachurch pastor Rick Warren, a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. We'll come back to him. But uh, one of the things that he taught was that major changes in the world require a stool approach. So the first leg of the stool, he said, is government, right? The UN has now got all the governments of the world on board with this Agenda 2030 Master Plan for Humanity. Uh, the U.S. government joined the, the mass murdering communist regimes of the world, not only joined, but celebrated this. Uh, Pope Francis was an enthusiastic supporter of this. So they got the government part of it all down. Well, in 2019, the UN signed a uh, what was called a strategic partnership with the World Economic Forum, yes, the Great Reset people, uh, to bring the business community to the table. So that was the second leg of the stool, right? The first leg of the stool was the government sector, the public sector. The second leg of the stool was the business sector or the private sector. And you're thinking, that's fascism. Yeah, it is. right? Uh, the, the merger of state and corporate power, as uh, Benito Mussolini, the ultimate fascist, put it, uh, is basically fascism. right? So public sector, private sector, all working on the same goals. But then there was a third leg of the stool that he talked about. 
that was just as critical, if not more. Uh, and of course, uh, Rick Warren has been a major proponent of this as well. The third leg of the stool is the social sector, mostly really, the religious institutions of the world, and to a lesser extent, civil society and the tax-funded NGOs that pretend to speak for people. And so with that in mind, I want to revisit some of what we covered while we were at the UN Climate Summit in Egypt, okay? Because more clearly than ever before, we saw this all coming out of the closet, right? My big takeaway from this whole meeting, the most important thing that happened was in my mind, at least the slogan, faith leaders of the world unite. And of course, that's a Marxist slogan, right? Workers of the world unite. But uh, they've got the national governments, they've got the business community, now they need the faith leaders. And so you had a lot of religious events. In fact, there was more than 40 religious events, or pseudo-religious, depending on your point of view, that took place during this COP27. Um, and, and the religious stuff was in your face from the moment you got off the plane. In fact, I want to show you this poster. This was um, what greeted people as they got off the airplane at the airport in Egypt. And um, one of the things you notice is the symbology, right? The official symbol of the COP27 uh, is actually based partly on Egyptian sun god symbology, and that was done deliberately deliberately, by the way. Uh, and as you see these giant posters, as you're getting off the airplane, it says, welcome to Egypt, the dawn of conscience. And then right in the center of this poster, you have uh, quotes from what was described as the declaration of innocence before being judged before the scale of Mat and entering the afterlife. This is a, an Egyptian pagan document. Uh, it was about, before you go to the afterlife, these are the things that you have to kind of testify to. One of them was, as, as quoted on this uh, official UN poster that was in all the airports, um, I have not polluted the water or the earth. Isn't that cute? We're resurrecting pagan Egyptian mythology to uh, make our point here about how the gods require us to stop being so polluting. Now, uh, we talked a little bit in the video I did from the top of Mount Sinai recently on this about how uh, many, many scientists over many years have talked about how we're dealing here with a cult, not with a religious movement, not so much a, uh, a scientific movement. Uh, and there's been a lot of clues about that, right? Richard Lindzen, uh, MIT meteorology professor emeritus, actually said it very clearly. He said, these people are a cult, right? Uh, and there's a good reason for this. In 2015, the head of the UN IPCC Rajinda Pachuri. Uh, he resigned over a sex abuse scandal. And he said, and I'm quoting here from his resignation letter, for me, the protection of planet Earth, the survival of all species and sustainability of our ecosystems is more than a mission. It is my religion and my dharma. Dharma is, of course, a, a Hindu concept, a pagan concept that uh, obviously Mr. Pachuri embraces. But that's interesting. So saving the world is not a scientific endeavor for him. It's not his job. It's his religion. It's his dharma, okay? Uh, and, and this is just one example among many, right? In 2010, the UN clown show met on uh, Cancun, and the head of this whole thing, uh, Christina Figueres, the uh, UN climate czarina, the head of the UNFPCCC, whatever it is, the UNFCC, sorry, the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change. They, they use all these acronyms to confuse people. Um, she opened this summit with a prayer to what she said was the Mayan goddess of creativity and tapestries. And it turns out that goddess of creativity and tapestry, I whipped out my laptop, like, mm, Ixchel. And the first thing that pops up was uh, Ixchel is actually the goddess of cannibalism, war, and human sacrifice. And I thought, how incredibly appropriate to start a climate conference where you're talking about sacrificing endless numbers of poor people for your climate nonsense uh, with a prayer to the goddess of human sacrifice. Uh, very, very appropriate. And to, in 2012, just a couple years later, we were down in uh, Rio de Janeiro covering the UN Conference on Sustainable Development for um, for the New American Magazine. And uh, one of the things that they did 
the you, you've probably seen the Christ the Redeemer statue. Well, look at this. They lit it up in green, disgusting lights. And uh, Lord Christopher Monckton, uh, he was the science advisor to Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher. We spent a lot of time with him. Uh, he said that really this was, and I'm quoting here from what he told us, a kind of childish message that the environmental religion is now replacing Christianity. And folks, that is exactly what these people think is happening. Now, uh, one of the terms that was so frequently used at this climate conference for the first time that I've ever seen was climate hell. Right. Joe Biden said we're, we've got a looming climate hell. Uh, Antonio Guterres, the socialist and head of the United Nations, uh, said that we're headed toward climate hell, this dystopian future of hurricanes, floods, droughts, fires, all kinds of things that await us if we refuse, if refuse to properly repent of our climate sins and submit to these incredible global controls over all of our activities. Um, and, you know, the religious leaders of the world so-called, uh, were very, very enthusiastic about this conference. Uh, Pope Francis, he said, I hope that steps forward are taken with courage and determination in the footsteps of the Paris Accords. That's what he said about COP27 as it was kicking off. And he's referring, of course, to the 2015 UN agreement that basically would see the U.S. Uh, destroy its own economy so that communist China can continue expanding its CO2 carbon footprint and the size of its economy and its military. Um, now, uh, the Pope Francis also pointed to his uh, Laudato Si action plan. Uh, that was a derivative of his Enviro encyclical Laudato Si, promoting globalism and environmentalism and care for Mother Earth. Uh, and he says that this document promotes ecological conversion and lifestyles consistent with it. Uh, he described this journey aimed at responding to the cry of the earth. And he said, I encourage this crucial mission for the future of humanity so that it may foster in everyone a concrete commitment to care for creation. This is what he said about COP27, folks, while COP27 was going on. Uh, in the United Kingdom, the uh, nominal head of the Church of England, right, the Anglican Church, which, of course, has its giant branch here in the United States, uh, he said in a statement, the climate emergency is an existential global threat that requires a global response with radical action. That was the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, who uh, was speaking about COP27. And then he wildly tortures Scripture to try to make it say what he wants it to say. He said, God calls us to embrace Justice. Christian scripture describes how we share in the renewed creation of heaven and earth with justice. That's out of Second Peter chapter 3, verse 13. And of course, that has nothing to do with global warming or repenting of your carbon dioxide sins. Uh, he says, let justice flow so that we human so that we see human lives and hope restored. And so the life of the earth itself protected and renewed. Uh, first of all, the earth itself doesn't have a life, right? The earth is an inanimate object put here for the benefit of human beings and ultimately for God's glory, not so that it would have a life, etc. cetera. Uh, and of course, uh, justice has very little to do with your CO2 emissions. But as, as these global religious leaders were talking about this, and we spent a lot of time on this in our episode a couple of weeks ago, the Ten Commandments of Climate Change, right? You had uh, leaders from all these different religious movements gathered at Mount Sinai. They had pagans, they had Muslims, Christians, Jews, walked up to what was supposedly Mount Sinai and um, revealed that, you know, first they did the climate repentance, we're sorry for our carbon sins, and we're sorry, et cetera. Uh, and then they smashed the Ten Commandments, and the, the guy who smashed the commandments, Yosef Abramovitz. Uh, the, the fake media describes him as a solar entrepreneur. He's really a, a green energy grifter. Uh, but he smashes these tablets pretending like he's Moses. Uh, but instead of being mad at God's people for worshiping a golden calf, he was upset, he said, because, and I'm quoting, we looked down to Sharm el-Sheikh and we're not satisfied. Um, the political leadership of the world has not come through on climate until now. It's the 27th gathering of world leaders and things are just getting worse, right? Because we have to reduce emissions much more rapidly. 
So um, all over the world, they were having these weird ceremonies. The Egyptian government wouldn't let them all come to Mount Sinai, but all over the world, they're doing these things. Now, of course, the real Ten Commandments were delivered by God to Moses on Mount Sinai. Um, and uh, Moses was really upset because Israel, the, the God's people, were worshiping a golden calf, not because they weren't taking care of Mother Earth or things like that. So uh, a lot of people have spoken out about this, uh, what people described as blasphemous, sacrilegious, etc. Um, and I was able to interview some of these people. We showed you some of the clips a couple of weeks ago. I spent almost 40 minutes with uh, some of the ringleaders of this. And um, I mean, they were really clear in what they're doing, right? They're, they're, we're not trying to replace the Ten Commandments, but that's not obvious. We're not trying to replace Ten Commandments, but that's not obvious. He also says that uh, one conduit for reaching millions and billions of people around the world is religion. One conduit for reaching millions upon billions of people around the world is religion. Right? Religion is not a, a set of facts that God has revealed. It's not a way to live our life. It's, it's a conduit to reach people for climate action. Uh, he actually talks about building the kingdom of heaven here on Earth. Listen. Fixing the problems that we've created so that life can thrive on this planet and so that we can build that proverbial kingdom of heaven here on earth. So, uh, so that's James Sternlich, right? The CEO of the Peace Department. This is one of the major organizations that was involved in this whole thing. And, um, you know, he, he's really calling for a convergence of all these religious movements. He compared uh, this interfaith effort to basically enjoying food or technologies from other faith traditions. Uh, listen to this. I, I've got a cell phone in my pocket that has parts from probably 50 different countries, technologies that have been developed all over the world that have come together to give me the ability to communicate. So why would I, you know, say I'm only going to use uh, technologies that, are, that were thought up in America, or why am I always going to use technologies that were thought up from people in my tradition? It we, we don't do that in any other part of our lives. Very interesting, right? Uh, just we just take useful parts of each religion, and that's going to help us save the climate crisis, folks. I mean, this is what they're talking about openly, as you heard in the interview I did with them. Uh, now, another one of the ringleaders for this, uh, Interfaith Center for Sustainable Development Chief Rabbi Jonathan Narrell also has some very unorthodox takes on scripture. But again, the same thing. He talks about leveraging faith communities to get involved in climate action. He says, we're all really one. And here at the UN Climate Conference, the boundaries between people dissolve and we see that the other is a brother of a different mother, sister of a different mister. It's not about us versus them. It's about us and them. So there you go, folks. Um, and, and they believe uh, very sincerely that religion or the use of religion is going to help us solve this problem. Right. Um, he actually said uh, the solutions to our ecological crisis are spiritual solutions because the roots of our ecological crisis are spiritual roots. OK, the solutions to our ecological crisis are spiritual solutions because the roots of our ecological crisis are spiritual roots. So this is a spiritual problem that CO2 emissions and man doesn't want to obey the UN and you know cut back our lifestyles. Uh, and he goes on to say that religion and religious clergy and leaders need to be the delivery vehicle for climate actions. And religion and religious clergy and leaders need to be the delivery vehicle for climate action. Really? Okay, now, um, you know, for Christians, um, the Bible is the word of God, and it gives us the story of salvation. It gives us the good news, right, that Christ died for our sins so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be made right with God despite our sins, so that he could take the punishment that we deserve for our sins and bring us into eternal life, right? Uh, but no, here religion is actually just a 
delivery vehicle for climate action. Okay, folks, this is really, really intense. Now, uh, there's also this uh, UN. I mean, the UN is directly involved in this, right? Don't think this is just faith leaders coming together and and working on this. Uh, The UN has a very, very active part in this. Uh, One of the things that they have is called the UN Faith for Earth Initiative. So um, here is uh, Iyad Abu Mogli, uh, the head of the UN Faith for Earth Initiative. He's the director, and uh, he explains something Incredibly significant. Listen. 85% of the world population believe in a faith or a religion. And the power of that is uh, humongous. And we can harness that in mobilizing faith leaders and faith followers in protecting Earth. Wow, folks. They want to harness faith leaders and faith followers. The power of that is humongous. They're going to harness you. They're going to stick a harness on you and use you to accomplish their purposes. Okay, if you go to their website, they say one of the main objectives of the Faith for Earth initiative is to strategically engage with faith-based organizations in an effective partnership to collectively achieve the sustainable development goals and fulfill the objectives of the 2030 agenda. Okay, so they're they're just telling you what they're doing, folks. They are telling you that they're going to harness you, they're going to mobilize you, and your fake religious leaders are going along with it, not you personally, right, obviously, but just people of the world. Okay, uh, they actually released a book called Faith for Earth, A Call for Action. Um, and they say that, yeah, basically, we you know we all kind of believe the same thing. And they say, and I'm quoting here, to encourage, empower, and engage with faith-based organizations as partners at all levels toward achieving the sustainable development goals and fulfilling the 2030 agenda. Okay, are you getting this, right? Uh, they say openly that they partner with the Parliament of the World's Religions and other UN-backed groups that are trying to harness religions. And uh, actually just this summer, uh, you had the UN Environmental Program or the UN Environment Program, UNEP. Uh, they brought together uh, the World Council of Churches, right? A radical left-wing group of so-called Christian leaders, uh, the Muslim Council of Elders, the New York Board of Rabbis and others to sign the Climate Responsible Finance, a moral imperative and responsibility to all children and the living world basically demanding that banks all over the world line up behind this. And uh, Antonio Guterres, the head of the UN, said uh, that this this is important faith-based initiative uh, is great. He said it, that people, communities, and organizations of faith have the influence needed to affect this transition. All right, so you're being used here, folks. Now, we tried to interview Inger Anderson, the head of the UNEP, multiple times. We ran into her several times at the COP27, and every time she said, no, I don't have time, and her handlers you know, quickly intervened and made sure she wouldn't have to talk to us. But uh, she actually participated in this. She was on uh, one of these panels with religious leaders. So uh, you know, I'm a little bit uh, disappointed that she wouldn't talk with us. I'd love to have gotten her perspective. Uh, there's a broader UN agency. It's called the UN Interagency Task Force on Religion and Sustainable Development, the UNIAT. TFR, uh, yep, and uh, they aim to actually get all of the UN agencies and tentacles hooked up with religious movements, right? Again, go back to the three-legged stool. You can't just have the governments and the businesses of the world. You've got to have the social, the religious side of it as well, and that is what they're doing, folks. Uh, actually, one of the organizers of this new Ten Commandments thing, this climate repentance ceremony, was the uh, Elijah Board of World Religious Leaders. Now, uh, according to this outfit, they bring together some of the world's most prominent religious figures from Judaism, Islam, Christianity, Buddhism, and the religions of India. And of course, they're an official partner of UNESCO, the UN Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization that is, of course, funded by taxpayers of the world. So uh, an official partner of the UN that is literally funded by the UN is bringing together all these religious leaders, and they are telling us we need a new Ten Commandments 
Commandments, et cetera, et cetera. Now, um, behind the UN, there's a whole network of these major tax-exempt foundations that are funding this one-world religion madness. Uh, one of the organizations that does this is the Carnegie Fund. Uh, there's also the—and they fund, by the way— um, the uh, Elijah Institute, uh, the New Age Spirituality Peddling Fetzer Institute, the Rockefeller Brothers Fund, the Bronfman uh, Foundation, and other tax-exempt mega foundations. Uh, now, one of the things, I looked at the, uh, a friend of mine sent me this, and I looked into uh, the John Templeton Foundation, one of the financiers of this group. Um, in their description of their religious genius grant for the Elijah Institute, they actually say that the goal of the funding is to change the discourse, views, and attitudes of different religious communities to, in respect to other religious communities and so on. Uh, and what's interesting is so many of these big money foundations that really don't get a lot of attention are also funding the SEL, the social emotional learning craze. We did a whole episode on that um, months or maybe even years ago. I encourage you to go take a look because it's very subversive. They're targeting our children with this stuff in the schools. Now, uh, the Interfaith Center for Sustainable Development and the Elijah Institute are both funded. Uh, in fact, one of their major funders is the Henry Luce Foundation. Okay, I looked into the Henry Luce Foundation, and Henry Luce himself is a name that should ring a bell. He was the founder of Time Magazine. He was the founder of Life Magazine. He was also a member of the Skull and Bones Secret Society at Yale. Yeah, the Bushes, the John Kerry's, the Supreme Court justices, very, very powerful um, secret society. Go back and watch uh, the episode that we did on um, the Skull and Bones uh, uh, Society. But I wanted to show you the, the George Bush and John Kerry, right? The, the two presidential candidates in 2004, both members of the same secret society. Check this out. You were both in Skull and Bones, the secret society. It's so secret we can't talk about it. What does that mean for America? The conspiracy theorists are going to go watch. I'm sure they are. I don't know. I haven't seen the web. Number 322. Two. <laughs> uh, first of all, he's not the nominee. And, uh, but, uh... You both were members of Spell and Bones, a secret society at Yale. What does that tell us? Uh, not much, because it's a secret. <laughs> Is there a secret handshake? Is there a secret code? I wish there were something secret I could manifest. 322, a secret number? Uh, there are all kinds of secrets, Tim, but one thing is not a secret. I disagree with this president's direction that he's taking the country. We can do a better job, and I intend to do it. So obviously this is a very important organization. Now, according to Business Insider, Luce was referred to by his fellow Bonesmen as Baal. That was his nickname with Bonesmen. Now, Baal, of course, was the demon god referenced often in the Bible. Uh, Luce was also one of the most important figures in the CIA's Operation Mockingbird. This was a, a, a program to propagandize Americans. They put hundreds of journalists and media bosses on their payroll to propagandize Americans with lies. Uh, the Henry Luce Foundation also funds deep state headquarters in the United States, the Council on Foreign Relations. So another one of these major uh, organizations that's funded by the UN, funded by taxpayers, and funded by these foundations is called Religions for Peace. We've exposed them before in the pages of The New American. They actually had an event at COP27, folks. Yes, they did. And um, their side event was called Realizing Ambition Through Ethical and ethical Intergenerational and Multisectoral Responses to the Climate Crisis. Isn't that interesting? And uh, they got some pretty prominent people there. Uh, this was a group that, by the way, until very recently was run by a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. Uh, now the new head of it is uh, this lady called um, 
Azakaram, who uh, before taking up her post running these religious group, was actually uh, an official at the ruthless population control organization called the UN Population Fund, or UNFPA, that incidentally was exposed in congressional testimony helping the mass murdering regime in China perpetrate forced abortions to implement its one-child policy. So that's the kind of people that we're dealing with here, folks, trying to harness religions. Um, and it gets crazier from there. I want to show you just some of the quotes uh, from this event that they had at the COP27. The question is not whether religion should be engaged. The question is how. And there are two important things to keep in mind. This, this meeting is important. The, the other 40, 40, 40 faith-based related meetings are also deeply important. But what's even more important is how these different religious actors can come together, together, to invest in each other's ability to do effective programs and initiatives. So that was the head of Religions for Peace. Uh, also, they had uh, uh, the Vanuatu Special Envoy on Climate Change, Bakoa Kaltanga, and uh, he said, Without uh, centralizing our actions around the human values and the uh, harmonization between science, religion, uh, our, our actions will only lead to unsustainable and destructive uh, developments. Finally, we had, uh, and there were others, but uh, we have Judge Mohammed Abdel Salam. He is a senior representative of, and I'm quoting here, his eminence, Grand Imam of Al-Azhar, Secretary General of the Muslim Council of Elders, and co-president of Religions for Peace. Uh, that's how he was introduced. Uh, and he spoke about how all religions, including Islam, have affirmed through speeches of religious figures around the world that it's necessary to protect the earth, our common home, to maintain its harmony and balance. So, folks, um, Keep that in mind. All right. Now, I want to go back to Religions for Peace, because this organization has already made very clear that it is part of the third stool here. OK, uh, they actually met in 2019 in Germany, uh, Religions for Peace. They had their 10th World Assembly. And again, this was funded by the U.N., the American taxpayer, George Soros, the Rockefellers, etc. They brought a thousand religious leaders to Germany. And uh, they came out with this final declaration. First of all, they agreed to create an alliance of virtue in which they all agreed uh, that we're going to focus on virtues shared widely across religious traditions and other virtue heritages. OK, interesting. Uh, I don't know exactly how much virtue uh, pagans and Christians or Jews and Muslims have in common, but that's what they said they're going to do. And then in their final declaration, the, the real purpose of all this came out. They agreed, and I'm quoting here, to urge religious communities to invest their resources in alignment with achieving the SDGs. They also, and I'm quoting here again from their final declaration, we commit to human development as set forth in the Sustainable Development Goals, okay? Uh, they also added in the agreement that they would advocate for government policies in line with the UN's climate vision. So are you starting to see what's going on here, folks? Now, I mentioned Rick Warren earlier. He's a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. He's the founder of Saddleback Church in California, mega church, right? Uh, one of the most influential churches in America. Um, he, of course, hosted famously that debate between Obama and John McCain in the 2008 election. Well, he's got something called the Peace Plan. Uh, this stands for promote reconciliation, equip servant leaders, assist the poor, care for the sick, educate the next generation. And according to him, it aims to involve every Christian and every church in every nation. Okay, but as you listen to Mr. Warren, um, this is not really a church project, right? Church, proje church projects are for the church. Those are people who are believing in Jesus Christ. Uh, here's what he said. He said, we'll work with everyone who wants to help. I'll work with an atheist who wants to stop AIDS. Isn't that interesting? 
So this is not really a church project. This is a social justice project that, of course, will end up serving the U.N. And he's been very friendly with the U.N. In 2005, uh, Rick Warren actually spoke at U.N. headquarters to all these delegates and world leaders about how they need to come together and help the poor. Of course, the job of government is not to help the poor. If you go to Romans 13, the job of government is to punish evil and protect the good, right? The job of the church, the job of the individual believer is to help the poor. That's not the job of the government to take things from your neighbor to give them to another neighbor. So uh, very, very suspicious here, guys. Now, uh, Rick Warren has also been a leading figure in what critics have called Chrislam. Uh, he actually partnered with Islamic leaders in California to come up with a common set of theological principles that also included the claim, uh, false according to Christian and Islamic theologians, that Christians and Muslims worship the same God. Uh, now, Warren has been very adamant that he is not an advocate of Islam and he wants people to accept Jesus Christ. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. It's not my, my place to judge his relationship with the Lord. But um, it's very interesting. And he got a lot of criticism, uh, including from uh, Jack McManus, former publisher of the New American uh, publisher Emeritus. Uh, folks, what we're dealing with here is an effort to harness and unify the world's religions under a new moral system. And uh, in a recent episode, we talked about how even the secular side of the UN, uh, they put out this report through the UN, uh, the headline of the report is uh, uncertain times, unsettled lives shaping our future in a transforming world. They said that, uh, and I'm quoting here, Uncertainty can be a source of knowledge to be mobilized to act differently, something that empowers individuals and societies to adopt fundamental changes in choices that leads people to act according to new moral codes that can enhance cooperation when it gives more salience to thinking about the future. Folks, they want a new moral code. They want to harness your religion to bring about this Agenda 2030 fundamental transformation that leaves nobody behind. Now, if you really dig into the UN's true religion, if you can even call it that, uh, there are some really, really troubling things, right? Some of the highest leaders of the UN, Robert Mueller comes to mind. I've talked to him many, uh, talked about him many times on this show. Um, he was uh, basically, he's known as the father of global education. He was the assistant secretary general of the UN, a very influential guy. Right. Uh, he was also the author of the World Core Curriculum that he said should be taught in every school on the planet. And uh, one of the really interesting things about him is that he was a disciple of Alice Bailey. Yes, that Alice Bailey, the founder of the Lucifer Publishing Company. OK, uh, that same Alice Bailey. That same Lucifer Publishing Company have been extremely influential in every sphere of the UN. They won't talk about it all that much publicly, but um, I mean, it's, it's something you really, really need to dig into, folks. This is uh, absolutely serious. This is absolutely uh, wicked. And if you dig into Alice Bailey, she claimed to be communicating with these ascended masters, these spiritual entities, and Robert Mueller claimed to be communicating with them as well. Um, and uh, they were giving them you know, secret wisdom and knowledge about the coming new age and things. So as you dig into the religion of the UN, what you'll find very quickly is that this is not the religion of Christians or Jews or Muslims or Buddhists or anybody, really. It's something entirely different. Uh, and now I, I want to go to the Bible, just you know, for the people who say that we really believe the same things and stuff. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 17, it says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? 
For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Well, Alice Bailey said the worst of all the heresies was the heresy of separateness. Those Christians who want to be separate, who want to come out from among them. That's the worst possible thing. Okay. This is really serious, folks. Uh, they are building the third leg of the stool in front of our eyes. They're trying to harness your religion. They're trying to harness your faith leaders, not because they think it'll bring you closer to God or it'll bring you eternal life or it'll bring you even a better life, but because they want to advance Agenda 2030 and the UN's totalitarian vision for humanity. We're all out of time, but I want to thank you for tuning in. I'm Alex Newman. This is Behind the Deep State for the New American Magazine. Thank you. And until next time, God bless you all. 